0: The truth is, God is real, the devil is real, and there is so much more going on than we may even realize, regardless if you're a believer or not, or if church is part of your regular routine, or even if you're not sure what to believe, the fact is, your life is part of a much bigger fight, a fight for our homes, marriages, classrooms, souls, and our lives. This is WAR. All right, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Do me a favor, put your hands together, help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both here in the room and online. So glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Man, wasn't that exciting seeing all the baptism stories and what God is doing in people's lives? I love when we get to do this. I love the video thing, too, man. It takes a lot of work. We've got a whole team of volunteers that come in and make those things, but doesn't it make the whole thing more special when you hear their story? So, hey, we're in a series. Today as part three, and this series is about spiritual warfare. It's about this reality that you and I live, looking at everything that's going on around us, because it turns out there is a lot of stuff going on around us, and it all involves us. We're we're talking about things like angels, demons, God, Satan, heaven, hell, right? A natural world, a spiritual realm, but the thing is, it all comes together, and it makes one reality. It is our lives. We, We can't get away from this. And so I've been telling you all along, I'm gonna keep saying it. If you miss any part of this series, I wanna encourage you to go back and get it online or on our app because each week I'm building on what I said before. And something that I say somewhere along the line will not make sense if you've missed something because we're, we're, we're building a foundation. And so we started the whole series with the foundation, there is a war and you're in it. Doesn't matter if you want to be, doesn't matter if you like the idea, you are in it. You have one of two roles. That is the only choice. So I only encourage you to go and make sure you understand that part of it. So then we followed that up with what I think is one of the most important things for us to know, and that is that God has no rival. Come on, somebody. Yeah, that's why we keep singing that song. You see, this is not a fair fight between two equals of God and Satan. That's not what it's like. God sits alone at the top. He, 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 There is no rival to him. He is the creator. Satan is created. They are not on the same plane, right? And, and that brings us to where we are today. Because if God won and Satan lost, if God has no rival, and if Satan knows that, then why does it look like the devil is doing so well? Why is there so much evil in the world around us? Why are so many people suffering? Why is there so much ungodliness? I mean, that, that's kind of a good point, don't you think? God is unrivaled sitting alone at the top. Well, at this point, when we face a question like this, a lot of times we go for an easy answer. I wanna share with you a, a scripture that that almost makes us go for an easy answer. It's out of 1 John. And it says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And here's the thing, we know this It's true, it's what the scripture says. So there's no debating that point. But that's where the the easy answer is. Okay, everybody just blame the devil. It's a broken world. It's all the devil's fault. That's just, we, we know that if the devil rules here, God rules in heaven. So we know that everything will be fine in heaven and we're just going to have to suffer while we're on earth. And gives us the wrong idea that God doesn't care much about what's happening here. Either that or he's too weak to do anything about it. So although that scripture is true, there's a whole lot more that the Bible tells us. And if we just go for one, actually half of a scripture, then sometimes the easy answer isn't always the best answer. Easy answers sometimes avoid some some really hard truths. And so today, what I want us to understand, hopefully, I think we're gonna be able to get here, is why, why the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And more importantly, what can we do about it? How many of you would like to tell the devil to go where he belongs? Y'all like to put him back in his place. And yeah, there you go. Y'all laughing because y'all just want to (laughs) cuss with permission. That's what you're up to right there. Yeah, oh, I would be glad to tell the devil. No, I'm just kidding. Well, hey, uh, you know, we said in part two, something really, really important. And that is the devil sometimes is messing with us, even though we're children of God, because he doesn't fight fair. Today, I have to tell you another truth about the devil. Sometimes he does fight fair. Sometimes he knows the rules of spiritual warfare very well, and it turns out there is one rule of spiritual warfare that lends to his benefit. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It's in Luke chapter 4, and, well, this is an encounter between Jesus and Satan. They're having a conversation face-to-face And the devil took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. Jesus, Satan, talking one to one. Now, this is a bold claim. I don't know if you think, I think that's a pretty bold claim to be looking at the son of God and saying this to him. I underline three words in this passage because these three words are going to radically change our understanding of the life that you and I live today. So let's go back to the first word that's underlined. It's the word world. And I'm I'm gonna give you some Greek stuff behind it, which I normally don't do, but but I think it's gonna help us so much. Many of us have heard of the word cosmos, right? We actually just spell it a little different and we still use the same word today. And it talks about the world, the stars and the the sun and the moon and everything that is out there and, and all of these objects. But the thing is, that's not the Greek word that is used here. It would be a Greek word for world but it's not the one that's used. The word that is used here is oikumene. And the reason that matters is because that word talks about the people in the world. So what Satan is saying is that that this inhabited world, the world where God's people live, I have something to do with that because he goes on to give us two more words. He says, I can give you all of this authority because it's been given to me. And when he uses the word authority, the word he's using is exousia, it simply means to rule, a rightful rule, the ability to possess or act or control. And the, the best analogy I can give you is that we go back in time about 500 years and think of a king, because we have democracies today and all these checks and balances and stuff, and, and we don't see what you would have seen in a king 500 years ago. A king 500 years ago would do what he wanted because it was his territory. And unless another greater king came along, uh, then that king got to do anything he wanted. It was the way he said it. If he said it, that's the way it was gonna be. And so what Satan is saying is that in this inhabited world, I have the right to rule, to possess, to act as I so choose, unless maybe a greater king comes along someday, but we'll save that for later in the series. And then his third word that he used, he said, it's been delivered to me. And what that means is actually to give over a right. So he says the right to rule in this inhabited world has been given over to me. And to give you an analogy, it's like if I give you my car keys, I just gave you the right to my car. If you say, hey, Jimmy, when we went to lunch today, I left my jacket in your car. And I say, here are my keys. Go get it out. I can't then yell at you for breaking into my car. I gave you the right to do that. If you say, hey, I need to borrow your car for a minute, can, can I use your car? And I give you the keys. I then cannot say that you've done something wrong with my car. I've given you that right. And so Satan is telling us something very important, that Satan has a rightful, unimpeded power over our inhabited world. That's a bold statement. But that's the translation of what he said to Jesus. Satan says, I have a rightful, unimpeded power over this world. And it's important for you to understand that since he was talking face-to-face with Jesus, you know what? Jesus didn't correct him. The reason he didn't correct him is because he was not wrong. Satan has a rightful, unimpeded power over our inhabited world. And just for fun, because this is really important for y'all to know, this is not part of the series at this moment, but. You know what his response was to Satan? No, thank you. Because he said, I'll give you all of these kingdoms and their glory. And Jesus' response was basically, have you seen their glory? This place is broken, man. It's been under your rule. It's a mess. And these people, they're lost. I don't want to serve second to you and something so broken, I'll tell you what. You talk about authority, you just wait a little bit because I'm gonna go get all of that authority. I'm gonna get it back. And then I'm gonna have all of these kingdoms and all of the people in them and with a different glory because they're gonna be saved and justified and glorified and it's gonna be all as it should be as I rule over you. And that's when we go, yay Easter, everybody, come on. That's what it's all about, right? Satan, unfortunately, has a rightful, unimpeded power over our inhabited world that kind of lends to a question which is. Why would God give that to him? He didn't. He gave it to us, and we gave it to him. If we go back in the beginning, it says, God made man in his image, then he blessed him. He said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. Rule over it, subdue anything that does not. My authority will be carried out through my creation's authority. I'm putting all of my authority in the hands of mankind. Mankind then, as we know, Adam and Eve, unfortunately rebelled against the ways of God. They were deceived. They thought that God's intent for them was not the best. They had questions about God's character. And so they chose their reasoning and their wants above God's. And in that moment, all of the authority that God had handed to them has been handed over. Now look, I know some people at this moment want to object. Matter of fact, there's gonna be several points in today's message that you're gonna want to object. And the good news is I'm prepared for them and the reason some people are going to want to object right now is because they're going to bring up, but that's past. That's past. We're on the other side of the cross. We've got Jesus. He came and he conquered Satan, and he conquered the power of sin, and he conquered death. And and so, Jimmy, we don't need to talk about what Adam and Eve did. I don't want to to talk about that. Matter of fact, I've got a friend of mine that I've known ever since high school. We went to college together, fellow musician, and uh, so we've known each other for a very long time, but He's actually an atheist and and we will get into conversation sometimes. And one of the things that people try to bring up to him is the fact that we're all born this way. And he says, look, I don't want to hear that. I don't believe Adam and Eve. Don't talk to me about original sin. And my answer to him is fine. Let's talk about yours. Because it turns out that every time you and I sin, we can stop blaming Adam and Eve. Every time you and I sin, we grant more rightful unimpeded power to the devil in our world. We can stop blaming Adam and Eve, y'all. We're we're, we're involved in this thing. And and I know some people want to say, well, wait a minute, I I don't understand how that works because I know when I sin, I'm doing something I shouldn't do, just a little something I shouldn't do. Look, when people come into my office as a pastor, they they sit down, they want to talk to their pastor to get some help with a bit of a problem they're having in their lives. And they usually start out with, well, pastor, I have to tell you, I I did a little something I shouldn't have done. Can can I just tell you, we got to talk differently because sin is not doing a little something you shouldn't have done. Matter of fact, we're sugarcoating things when we say that. And and I'm going to use some very strong words here in a moment because we need to pull the sugar off of that and find out we've been eating a very rotten cookie. You see, here's what I mean. There are only two ways. We learned in part one that there is the kingdom of darkness and there is the kingdom of God. And if there are only two places, if there are only two kingdoms, then there's only two ways of being. If, if you're not doing what the kingdom of God would have you do, then you're automatically doing what the kingdom of darkness would have you do. You see, the devil rose up in rebellion against God. And anytime that we don't do what God wants us to do, we continue in that rebellion against God. Strong word, right? You go, wait a minute, I was just doing a little something like rounding up on my taxes for a little bit of benefit, just tiny little lie. No, 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 what we're doing then is we are partnering with the kingdom of darkness anytime that we are not fully aligned with the kingdom of God. Are y'all following this? You see, anytime that we say no to God, we say yes to the devil. There is no middle ground. There's there's no middle earth. There's no other kingdom out there. We've got the idea that if we say no to something that God says, that we suddenly just become, oh, you know, it's just a mere little human thing. Just Just a little human thing, right? Matter of fact, we've got quotes that confuse us. Anybody ever heard the quote? To err is human, to forgive is divine. To err is human, to forgive is divine. It gives us the idea the opposite of God is human. The opposite of godly is just a little human thing. No, 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 the opposite of godly is ungodly. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's a partnership with the devil. And so what happens is anytime that we do a little something that we shouldn't do, that we think is not a big deal, we have completely rejected what God wants, and therefore we have partnered with what the devil wants. See, every no to God is a yes to the devil. Do y'all know that every no is a yes to something else and every yes to something is a no to something else? Do y'all understand the concept? Like if you say yes to your boss to working overtime today, you say no to your kids to spending more time with them today. If you say yes to cheeseburgers and French fries, many times you say no to living at 99. That's just how that works, come on. And so when we say no to God's ways, we don't just do a little human thing. We partner with the devil. Every no to God is a yes to the devil. And so what happens when we do that is we grant him more rightful, unimpeded power in our lives. We can stop blaming Adam and Eve. At this point, though, (laughs) Christians are so funny, y'all. We're funny people. Because after we do all that, what we then do is we turn around and try to rebuke the devil. Come on. We love this. I rebuke you, devil gonna Get in here and mess with me. You ain't gonna go harassing my day. You just get on out of here. In the name of Jesus, you just whatever. Look, y'all need to learn some good theology today. You cannot rebuke the devil for doing what you gave him a right to do. You cannot rebuke the devil for doing what you gave him a right to do go back to the illustration of my car keys. This is a true story. When I was in college, my apartment was so close to the music building. As a music major, I never drove it, except not during the day, not during school, maybe on the weekends. And so I had a friend of mine who needed a car. He didn't have a car in college. His name was Eric. And so I told Eric, you can drive my car anytime you want. The keys will be under the mat. Yeah, that was a different city and a different era when you could just leave your keys under the mat and let anybody use their car. And so I would come home from my classes Uh, And and very often my car would be gone. Eric has my car. He's driven away somewhere. And and imagine if at one point that I came home and I wanted to use my car, it wasn't there, that I said, I'm tired of this. And I call the police. Hey, my car is stolen and I know who's got it. And so they go and they find my friend Eric and they, they say, is this your car? Well, no, it's not my car. So they get ready to arrest him. But he says, but wait a minute, he gave me the right to use it. And they look at me and say, is that true? And I go, well, yeah, but I rebuke that. But I really want it back right now. (laughs) Let me just tell you, my friend Eric is not going to be the one going to a jail cell at that moment. And that is a bad theology that we have. We think we can just not quite do exactly what God wants. We can just do a little human thing and then rebuke the devil because he tries to sneak up in here and cause all kinds of trouble in our lives. We are totally misunderstanding the rules of spiritual warfare that, by the way, the devil knows. Now, some other people at this point would want to disagree and say, Jimmy, I have a problem with your unimpeded. The fact that the devil has a rightful unimpeded. By the way, a staff member, when I was writing the message and going over the notes on the slides, I had a staff member say, uh, what does unimpeded mean? And unimpeded for everybody here, just to make sure you know, simply means unhindered, means nothing in the way, means do as you wish straight ahead. And so some people would push back and say, what do you mean the devil has unimpeded power? Have you not heard of his defeats? Have you not heard of Jesus on the cross and coming out of the tomb where he conquered sin and death and he severely changed the future of Satan and his power? Come on, Jimmy, haven't you heard of that? And then they would like to quote to me a Bible verse that goes right along with the other one that we read earlier, the whole power lies, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Well, actually, if you back up one sentence, here's what it says. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God, God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. So see, Jimmy, I'm not worried about the next sentence that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one because I'm okay, God protects me. I've been born of God and I am safe from all of that. It's like spiritual Teflon, man. The devil can throw anything he wants. It's just gonna bounce off, nothing's gonna stick and I'm all good, right? right? (laughs) Wrong. Look, I wish that were the way it worked. Our lives would be so much easier. But of course it works that way, Jimmy. You just read the verse. Anyone who's born of God, God protects him, and the evil one cannot touch him. No, I didn't read the whole verse. That's what those three little dots are. What I read to you was the part of the verse that people in church like to quote. What I read to you is the part of the verse that we think the Bible actually says. What I read to you is the part of the verse that we wish it were that way, but let me read the full passage to you so that you know what God has to say about it. Starts out like this. We know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who, Jesus, is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Wow, that changes the the equation a lot, doesn't it? See, here's the thing. We we all know that we're all sinners. I just need to address this because we say, well, wait a minute, now I really have no hope because no one can never sin again. And that's a problem, we're all sinners. Look, when we say we're all sinners, what we mean by that is that there is something inside of us that keeps showing itself. Like our anger in traffic. You get angry at people just because they're doing what is best for them, which is to get in front of you they're maybe even just oblivious to how they cut you off. I mean, we've all been oblivious at times, right? I mean, we've all done this stuff, but we get angry at people and that's not godly. It's not a godly response. Some of us even go as far as to wave at them, not using all of our fingers. And so that's not a godly response, right? That's what it means by we're all sinners is is every now and then my character shows itself to still need a savior. And then I say, God, forgive me for that. That did not honor you. And now that I think about it, they look really much like the person who sits beside me in church. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, so, but here's the thing. When we say we're all sinners, it does not mean that we knowingly, consciously choose to continue to do the opposite of what God tells us to do. See, you can't do something like, well, I'm gonna go rob a bank on Friday, but it'll be okay because I'm gonna give God 10% of everything that I get away with on Sunday. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to do it again, but I'll give 10% again. No, you can't say, God, I know this is wrong in your eyes, but I'm willingly going to choose to do it. That's what it means by those who are born of God do not keep on sinning. We have to make a choice because every time we say no to God, we say yes to the devil and there is a partnership there. You see, God promises for those of us that say yes to God and no to the devil that, he protects us. Did y'all catch that part? It says, and God protects him. And I want to give you an illustration because it's the best one that comes to my mind mentally. And it, it might be insensitive. I don't mean it to be, and forgive me if you think it is. Uh, but it's like of a, a movie scene where someone is in prison. Have you ever seen uh, in one of those movies? And again, movies are sometimes not right, so that's okay. But just, just go with the illustration here that when somebody sits down to eat in, in prison in a movie, that they they kind of huddle up around their food like this. Like they've got one elbow ready. That way you're not getting my food. They got this elbow ready. They got their spork or their spoon. I mean, they're, they're ready. Like you ain't getting what's in here, man. It's called protection. And, and we read about it last week in part two when the devil said, wait a minute, Job doesn't really love you. The, the thing is that you have put a hedge around everything that is Job's. And so you protect him. See, that's what that's talking about is that God protects us. Here's the problem. God offers protection, but we reject that and our ways create a partnership instead of the protection that God has for us. And that's what gives the devil a rightful, unimpeded power over our world. And that still sounds like, though, the easy answer. Because where is God? I mean, if God is almighty and God is sitting on his throne And God is watching us continually give away our right to the, I mean, where is God? What is he doing? Isn't God loving? Isn't God caring? Isn't God gonna do something? Is he really just gonna sit by and ignore this and wait for the fulfillment of time? No, actually, God is very actively involved in every moment of. Let me show you this. Romans 1, great chapter, by the way, whole chapter. We're not gonna have time for the whole chapter. I wanna show you this. It says, And starting in verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God has been revealed. And I just wanna stop right there before we go any further because a lot of people don't wanna talk about the wrath of God. Matter of fact, they would tell me as a pastor Jimmy, the only time you talk about the wrath of God is when you don't have enough parking spaces and you don't want to add another service and you don't want to do more work. Because see, if you talk about the wrath of God, people don't come back. Nobody wants to hear about the wrath of God, right? I mean, the wrath of God, when I say those words, what comes to mind? What comes to mind is an angry God sitting up on a throne with lightning bolts in his hands, just ready to go whoosh right down on you, right? I mean, that's our idea of the wrath of God. Angry, judgment. What if I told you that the wrath of God is one of the most loving displays? Here's what I mean. See, the wrath of God is simply when God moves to eliminate evil from our midst. Because God loves you, God loves me so much that he will not allow the victory of evil to remain in our midst for our world to remain so broken that. He comes to move evil. That's what the wrath of God is. God says, wait a minute, I'm not gonna let you stay that way. And so he comes and he moves to move evil. Now, we all love that idea when it's in our neighbor's house, when it's in our government, when it's in our boss's life. The problem is sometimes that what God needs to deal with in order to protect us from evil, he needs to move in our own life. The wrath of God is a display of love, not a display of anger. Matter of fact, most of the time, the display of his wrath doesn't even involve anger as you and I would call it. Let me explain it to you. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of mankind, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. You know what that means by they knew him to be God, but they did not honor him as God. The conversation from God kind of goes like this. I'm God and you're not. But you don't seem to think so. Because I wrote and you don't read. And when you read, you reject. And when I say you don't do, seems to me like by your reasoning, you think you're God. And I'm the one that created, so I know best about how it works. You're the one that was created. You don't know best, and yet your reasoning causes you to think that your ways are higher than my ways. Apparently, you know I'm God, but you don't think so. And that kind of thinking, as it says, is futile. They became futile in their thinking, and when that happens, the result is this, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. Goes on to say one of the reasons and the loss of their hearts to impurity and explains that. Two verses later, again, for this reason, God gave them up. Goes on to explain what and why. And two verses later, again, says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Again, goes on to explain why. Why does God give us up to the things that we have chosen. Well, in theological world, we call this his passive wrath. His active wrath is, of course, when he shows up, says, I'm gonna do something to fix you right now. I'm gonna do something to fix your world. We read some of those stories in the Bible where, just true story, the ground opens up and swallows people whole. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that God's passive wrath is how he deals with me most. See, God's active wrath is when he says, I'm going to deal with you now. God's passive wrath is when he says, I'm going to let your ways deal with you now. I'm going to let you put yourself under the rightful, unimpeded power of the evil one because if you do that long enough, if you experience what you said no to me for and yes to something else for long enough, your life is going to get miserable enough. You're going to say, this sucks and I want God's way back. God, come back. That's what he's going for. The best illustration I can give you, like a father or a mother who got a young toddler who wants to keep reaching up on a stove. Come on, parents in the room, you know how this works, right? They look at you and then they do that. And because you are a loving father or mother, you say, no, Johnny, don't don't do that. That's not good for you. It's going to hurt. It's going to leave a mark. You could be in more pain. And he reaches Mom and dad says, no, Johnny, don't do that. It's not good for you. I know better. And Johnny reaches again. You think you know better? Let me prove to you I know better. See, the path of of wrath of God is the one that says, okay. I do know better. I told you what is better. I blessed your socks off. And you still want to reject that? All right, touch the stove. I'll be here to pick you up. I'll be here to hug you. Because I love you. But if you don't want to trust me, if you want to say no to me, then I'm going to let you have your ways. So God removes this protection that allows us then to learn that our ways are not better than his. That he's not an angry God. He's a loving God that his ways are best don't believe what you see the devil is not doing so well God is not absent God is not weak God is teaching his children the devil is not all powerful he is empowered by us but that's the extent of it. And then something happens when God gives humans over to the fruit of their ways to experience a world not according to the way that he would have it go. It says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Think about that, all manner. Evil, all manner of covetousness and malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. I mean, seriously, God's in heaven going, wow, y'all got, y'all added to the devil's playbook. Y'all came up with new stuff down there. Seriously? Disobedient to parents, young people. Look, we're all young. We've all done it. We were all teenagers. But in God's eyes, we, we need to, Take a step back because the whole thing is about authority. God gave authority to Adam and Eve. God gives authority to parents. Adam and Eve gave that away to the devil. It is all about authority. The devil says he has authority. And every time you say no to the authority of the parents that God gave you, then you say yes to the authority of the devil. I'm sorry to tell you, it's not just a little teenager thing. Matter of fact, God puts it on the same line as murder. Just thought you might want to know that. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like our headlines. That sounds exactly like the world I live in. Why? Because God gave us up to our constant saying no to him, to learn that this world is never going to get better any other way than to get God back. We say yes to him and no to anything else. That's the the only answer. That's the rule of spiritual warfare that the enemy knows. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And then we help him fill this world with evil because we just choose to do a little something we know we shouldn't do. And then we look at our world and, and we... We blame God for everything that's wrong. Now, that's the bad news. I didn't bring you here for the bad news. Who wants the good news? Who wants to get the devil out of their life? Who wants to impede the devil? Who wants to put a hindrance in his way and change his power in your life? Anybody with me on that one? Look, it's simple. It's a simple, may not be easy, but It's simple. It goes like this, give the devil no right. Give the devil no right. He knows that if you give him a right, it's his and he'll take it because he knows that's the way it works. So all we have to do is give the devil no right, as simple as it can be. Not easy, but simple. Here's what I mean. Choose God's way. Every time we choose God's way, then we give the devil no right. Every time we choose God's way, and look, we had baptism today, and I told you that this was going to be a part of our spiritual warfare thing, and the reason for it is because every one of these people, as they were getting baptized today, said, I choose God's way. But what we all need to know is this is not a one-time thing. It's not just one day, the one time that you got baptized. It is every day, and it's in every area of our lives. There are people who choose God's ways financially, but not morally. Morally. You see, it's in everything that we have to say yes to God and no to the devil. We have to choose God's ways, and then the second part of it is repent when we didn't or when we don't. Repent when we didn't means there's something in every one of our past where we did not do exactly what God would want us to do. So we simply say, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry I said no to you and yes to the devil. Thank you that you forgive me. Will you, will you get the devil out of my life in this area? That's for what we didn't. The truth is, none of us will be perfect. So get good at saying that. Because if not tomorrow, then the day after or the week after, we're gonna need to say it again. Because we won't always choose God's ways. We try. I hope you try. I hope we'll do the best that we can, but we will make a mistake. And when we do not choose God's way, we simply have to repent, say, God, again, I'm sorry. Listen, there is nothing more than our loving Father in heaven loves (laughs) <laughs> than sending our big brother to show up on the scene and remind the devil who lost. Get on out of here. They belong to me. They bought them with my blood. They just repented, so you're done. You're done. Get out. Time and time again. Never gets old. The devil, The devil will tell you it gets old. The devil will tell you, you know, God forgave you and you repented, but you did that again. God can't forgive you again. God, God's tired of you. That's a lie of the devil. It's not in here. It's a lie of the devil. Don't, you know, don't you ever let him get away with that one. What you need to do is every time remind him, you know, all I got to do is go tell God I'm sorry and he's sending my big brother. You remember him? You don't want to see him. Give the devil no right. Give the devil no right. So we can have God's protection. But I got an idea for you. Who would like to do a a step better than just living in a bubble from the effects of the world around us. I think we can do more than just have protection from this world. I think we can change this world. We can change this world. It's, it, again, it's like what we saw in baptism when somebody declares, my life is now different. The devil will have no right here. And wherever, everywhere that you go, what you begin to bring because you're choosing the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness, you are bringing that exousia, that rule, the right to possess, act or control of the kingdom of God everywhere you go. It's like when a bride walks down the aisle. She got that big old dress that's knocking people down and you're bringing the kingdom of God where you go and the devil's like, I better get on out of here. And you're bringing it where you work. You're bringing it to your unit. You're bringing it to your schools. You're bringing it to your neighborhoods. You're doing whatever to say there will be no rights, no rightful, unimpeded, control of the devil in my place. Nuh-uh, not, not happening on my watch. And so I'll leave you with this because it's exactly what Joshua said. It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. A lot of people have it on the wall in their house. It's when the Israelites were going into the promised land and they had won most of the battles that they were going to fight and they had their own cities and they were going to, to go their own way and kind of start to inhabit. And Joshua called everybody together and he said, hey, before you go. Y'all going to go live over there and y'all going to go live over there and, and you're going to do your thing over there. And I just want to remind everybody from this day forward, we have what God taught us. And I'm not going to be right there to watch you all the time. So I'll leave you with the example. As for me in my house, y'all know that one? It's what Joshua said. As for me in my house, We will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will give rightful, unimpeded power to in your world because as for me and my house, my prayer is that every one of you begins to make that declaration. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, amen? Amen. I wanna close by talking to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. That's where it all begins. See, the truth is, until you surrender the life you've been living in your own kingdom with the devil right there by your side, and I'm sorry to say it that way, but that is what the Bible says. Until you say no to that and accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus earned for you on the cross, you won't be able to tell the devil where to go. But I wanna help you change that. I wanna help you be set free and to have the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. If you've never done that, wherever you are, online or in the room, if you would pray something like this to yourself and to God, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people. Amen.